You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. guys this morning. Thanks for bringing the church into this building. If we haven't met, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the pastor elders of our church, guy who most Sundays gets to preach God's word, though grateful for James to have stepped into the pulpit last Sunday uh, in our absence, our family to get a chance, actually just me and my wife to get away for a few days, which was, which was fantastic. Um, Go ahead and give you a disclaimer this morning right out of the gate uh, as you go ahead and open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter four. We're gonna camp out in the last 10 or so verses of this chapter of the book of Galatians, which we've been in uh, since the beginning of the fall. Uh, Disclaimer as you're opening up there. uh, And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats in the row in front of you. Uh, Feel free to use that Bible during our time together. Um, if you don't own a copy of the scriptures, please uh, take that Bible home with you as the church's gift to you. Um, as you're turning there, uh, just right out of the gate, uh, in one of the commentaries that I was sitting with, and a few of them said something uh, very similar, uh, very first sentence with respect to this morning's passage that we're gonna camp out in. John Stott says, Many people regard this as the most difficult passage in the epistle to the Galatians. When I read that, I thought, cool. I thought we'd already done that like three or four times back in chapters two and three. This is it. And we're gonna do it on a family style Sunday and we're gonna see how it goes and just get real rowdy with it and see what the Lord does. He goes on to say, uh, for one thing, this passage assumes a knowledge of the Old Testament, which few people possess today. There are references in it to Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, Isaac, Mount Sinai, and Jerusalem. For another, the argument of Paul is a somewhat technical one, he says. It is an allegory which would have been familiar in the Jewish rabbinical schools. So if you have a Jewish rabbinical background and you've done a deep dive study of the Old Testament and you know how to not be distracted by your own children and all the other kids around you, you're gonna be great this morning as we dive into God's word. And this is why I'm grateful that the Bible itself says that God's word does not return void. And we trust that, we believe that. Uh, It's why we can dive into passages like this that don't lend themselves to great illustrations or applications even. The creativity of this sermon is going to coincide pretty much with the title of the sermon behind me. No uh, uh, commending you to uh, play board games with others in the church this week. Uh, the, the takeaway uh, is simply uh, us wrestling with the question, who's your mama? That's where Paul's gonna go this morning. Uh, he, he's assuming that, that any and all of us who would gather in spaces like these would, would affirm that Abraham is our father by faith. And so he's gonna press on that. He's gonna say, yeah, but who, who's your mama? And that's the real question. And it's a question for us on this Christian journey as we wrestle with uh, whether or not Uh, We live our lives uh, motivated by this sort of self-wrought human initiative to bring things about in our lives, whether it be religiously or idolatrously. And so the the hope this morning would be that we would walk away and that we would uh, yet again find life in the sweetness of freedom that 
that is offered to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let me go ahead and pray for us and we'll, we'll jump into this passage. And by the way, uh, all the noises that happen in a family style Sunday, I try to say this every time we do this, are not a distraction, at least not to me. I love the sound of, of all of the, the ages and stages of life represented in this place when we do this. And so um, I hope that puts you at ease if you feel any sort of insecurity about the, the, the noises in the room. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word which does not return void. I pray that Holy Spirit, you would move in power as we sit with the word that you have inspired in front of us. I pray that you would give us knowledge and wisdom and discernment to understand what many scholars to believe the hardest passage in all of Galatians. I pray that you would give me a feeling sense of the very things that I preach as much as anyone else in this room. God, I pray that as a result of our time in the scriptures this morning, that we would walk away encouraged, free, joyful, at peace. All of the things that the gospel is meant to do in our lives to produce. God, would you free us from the bondage of legalistic religion and would you free us from the bondage of chasing after idols of power, money, control, comfort, etc. that to leave us in bondage. Gotta pray that as a result of our time this morning uh, that you and you alone would be glorified and that the, the joy and good would be ours. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So because there's something of a a complexity to Paul's unfolding argument uh, with respect to this letter. I've tried my best to provide something of a, a summary each week in terms of where we are in the argument itself. At, at this point in his letter to the churches of Galatia, here at the end of chapter four, so we're about two thirds of the way through, we've seen Paul uh, passionately defend both his authority as an apostle and the authenticity of his message of the good news of Jesus Christ through the detailing of his conversion and calling, as well as the earliest years following his Damascus Road experience. Two very early in the letter expressing astonishment that the Galatians are turning to a different gospel. The general argument being that some were insisting that the Galatian Gentiles be circumcised and submit to the Mosaic law in order to have right legal standing with God, in order to be counted among the true people of God. Paul declaring that there is no other gospel, that any distortion of the gospel is no gospel, that anyone who would preach a, a different gospel stands under the divine curse of God. Paul helping us to see in chapter two, through both Titus and Peter, what it means to live in accordance with the one true gospel. Titus, an uncircumcised Gentile who genuinely loved and trusted in Jesus and had a fruitful ministry alongside the apostle Paul. Proof that, that God was indeed at work among the Gentiles and with that, that circumcision was not necessary to be counted among God's people. In Peter's case, the hypocrisy of treating Gentile believers as inferior when a crowd of Judaizers came to town. Peter's conduct got of step with the truth of the gospel so that he was unsaying with his conduct what he was saying with his doctrine. Paul closing out chapter two with the good news of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. The good news that God declares guilty sinners righteous in his sight as a gift of grace 
And it's a gift of forgiveness and right legal standing before God that we receive by faith. Faith in the crucified and risen Jesus, which Paul goes on to tease out even more in chapter three as he again rebukes the Galatians for lending their itching ears to a distortion of the gospel. Having received the spirit they had, not by works of the law, but by hearing with faith. Tempted, however, to continue the Christian life, not by spirit-reliant faith in God, but self-reliant works of the law. Unlike Abraham, the man of faith whom God promised to bless, that he might be a blessing to the nations, going back to chapter three, and who believed the Lord and it, it was counted to him as righteousness. Meaning that by faith, God conferred righteous standing upon Abraham, just as God does with any sinner who turns to Christ by faith. Paul declaring that it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and who enjoy the blessings promised to Abraham and his offspring, as opposed to those who rely on works of the law and stand a curse for failing to abide by all things written in the book of the law. The law itself, given not to replace the promise to Abraham, but to quicken the promise. Paul dovetailing the end of chapter three with the beginning of chapter four with the highlighting of the temporary role of the law, which functioned as a guardian until Jesus came so that transgressors like you and me might turn to him in faith for salvation. He who going back a couple weeks ago uh, came to buy us out of the marketplace of sin by his precious blood. More than that, that we might be granted the rights, the privileges, the blessings of sons and heirs that we might know true freedom and joy. For some, freedom from imprisonment under the law. For others, freedom from the enslaving power of idols. That we might not trade one form of enslavement for another, going back to last week. Freed from pagan idolatry and ritual, only to be enslaved to the law of Moses. Free from uh, religious or irreligious chase of power, comfort, control, and approval, only to be enslaved to legalism. Paul passionately declaring, how, how could we ever go back? How could we possibly turn to a different gospel? Having obtained what the law could never give, having obtained what the most promising of idols could never give. Children of God, filled with the spirit of Christ. A theme that Paul's gonna continue to, to build on and once again, taking us back to the story of, of Abraham in order to contrast the outworking of Paul's gospel with that of the false teachers. The one, an invitation to a life of enslavement. The other, to a life of true freedom and joy. As we pick up in verse 21, Paul asks, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Here Paul uses the term law in two different senses of the word. In the first sense, meaning the Mosaic law, the commands of Moses. In the second sense, a broader reference to the Torah. The Torah being the, the first five books of the law uh, of, of the Bible in which the Mosaic law is found. So that another way to say what Paul's saying here in verse 21, tell me you who desire to be under the Mosaic law, are you not familiar with the Torah in which the Mosaic law is found? For it is written, Paul says, verse 22, in the Torah that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. 
Those who were uh, distorting the the gospel in Galatia were doing so on the basis of the law of Moses. And so Paul declares as he did back in chapter three, let's go back even further than Moses, shall we? Let's go back to father Abraham. Paul here again, alluding to Genesis chapter 15, the, the covenant that God made with Abraham, where we're told after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Right? Many of you know the story. God promised Abraham a son and through that promised son, descendants as innumerable as the stars in the sky. A promise impossible for Abraham to fulfill in his own power as he and Sarah were both well into their twilight years when the promise was made. As time went, went by, as the story goes, Sarah grew impatient and suggested to her husband that he conceive a child with her maidservant, Hagar. And Abraham agreed and, and Ishmael was brought into the world. A result of Abraham and Sarah's failure to trust that God would fulfill his promise. Right, we've probably all been there at some point where we don't, trust God. And so we try to take things into our own hands to achieve all of our hopes and, and dreams and bring them to fulfillment. Self-reliance. God himself declaring, as the story continues, Ishmael not to be the promised son and heir, though Abraham, as he expressed it to God, would have been okay with that. Ishmael born according to the flesh, verse 23, an outworking of sinful, self-reliant human initiative. Unlike Isaac, who was years later born out of the union between Abraham and Sarah, born not of sinful, self-reliant human initiative, but through divine intervention in fulfillment of God's promise. Paul goes on to say in verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, Paul says, is free and she is our mother. What in the world is Paul saying? Here he interprets the story of Sarah and, and Hagar as a historically true account standing for deeper spiritual truths underneath it all. Hagar, Hagar and Ishmael, her son, representing the old covenant the covenant that God made with Moses at Mount Sinai, the giving of the law, which imprisoned everything under sin until Christ came, chapter three, verse 23. Again, Ishmael, born according to the flesh, an outworking of sinful, self-reliant human initiative, and there was no blessing to be found on the other side of that. So it is, Paul said back in chapter three, verse 10, for those who rely on works of the law, and stand accursed for failing to abide by all things written in the book of the law. 
those who seek God's promised blessing by way of their own self-wrought obedience. It's a trusting in oneself. It's an enslaving, demanding religious chase by which God's blessings and promises cannot be obtained any more than God's promised blessing to Abraham was obtained uh, through the birth of Ishmael. Again, an outworking of sinful, self-reliant human initiative rather than trusting in God to fulfill his promises. Which Paul too connects, verse 25, with the Jerusalem of his day. The many Jewish people believing themselves to be secured, descendants of Abraham that they were. Inhabitants of the, the city of God with access to the temple of God. Surely we're okay. Many of them declaring, we're children of Isaac. Paul declaring, you're descendants of Ishmael. That is, those who were seeking to obtain God's blessing and promises through their own self-wrought reliance upon works of the law. I mean, what, what Paul says here, it's pretty astonishing. He turns the tables right here in these verses on those false teachers in Galatia and anyone who would follow them. Descendants of the flesh of Isaac, yes, but fleshly and, according, uh, and outside of the promise of Ishmael at the end of the day. Enslaved to the law, accursed under the law. Paul declaring that not everyone who is of ethnic Jewish descent is Abraham's true offspring, that it is and always has been those of faith who are counted sons of Abraham and who can know the joy and blessings promised to Abraham and his offspring. Citizens of the heavenly city, verse 26, the, the new Jerusalem that awaits those who by faith are true children of Abraham. He goes on in verse 27 for it is written, and here he cites Isaiah chapter 54, verse one. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Isaiah 54, um, it was originally written when, when Israel was in exile as punishment for her failure to walk in covenant obedience an adulterous wife she was. Paul continuing to, to drive home this point in declaring that her attempts to, to live in self-wrought obedience to the law brought only the curse of exile. God promising here in Isaiah 54 to take Israel again as his bride. Going back to uh, a couple weeks ago, not unlike the story of Hosea. And in God's doing so, the promise of many children the promise of blessing on the other side of, of exile. A blessing that Israel could not bring about in her own strength any more than Abraham and Sarah could bring about the blessing of a son. God must do it. And God has done it in Jesus Christ. The one in whom all of God's promises find their yes and amen. Born into this world like Isaac, Jesus was by miracle that all the peoples of the earth might be blessed. That is the, the true sons of Isaac, those who abandon themselves and trust in Jesus for salvation. Paul goes on in verse 28. He says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, that is Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, that is Isaac, so also it is now. 
But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. As if it weren't astonishing enough that that Paul would declare many who think themselves to be on the inside, to be on the outside looking in, like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal. Paul goes further in declaring that those perceived to be on the outside are actually on the inside. As he associates here those Gentile believers in Galatia, not with Ishmael, but with Isaac. Children of promise, Paul says. Something that too would have shocked the Judaizers who saw the Gentiles as children of Ishmael, not Isaac. If you wanna be of Isaac, you need to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses, they'd been saying. Paul declaring them, the Gentile believers here, children of promise born according to the spirit. Just as Isaac was a child of promise, born not of human initiative, but according to the spirit as well. Paul too here declaring that the children of promise will be persecuted by those born according to the flesh. Just as Isaac was persecuted by Ishmael who scoffed at and ridiculed Isaac in his infancy, meaning that that those who live truly gospel-centered lives, if we are a people who truly lives uh, lives uh, spirit-dependent lives, trusting in the Lord rather than living lives of self-wrought human initiative, we will be persecuted. And Paul's not talking about persecution from the irreligious here, but from the most religiously zealous and committed. It was the case for the prophets, the case for the apostle Paul, the case for the Lord Jesus himself. It was the case for the Galatian believers who were being persecuted by these false teaching Judaizers. Paul associating those false teachers with Ishmael in the persecuting of the Isaac of their day, the Gentile believers. Their evangelism at the end of the day, persecution, because they were evangelizing the the Galatian Gentiles to bondage. Paul declaring that those who seek salvation by their own self-wrought obedience, verse 30, will be cast out and will fail to enjoy the blessings that are reserved for the children of promise, just as Hagar and Ishmael were cast out in the wake of Ishmael's ridiculing of Isaac. This morning's passage making plain, and here it is, here's the the takeaway, that each of us is either an Ishmael or an Isaac, enslaved or free, cursed or blessed. John Stott writes in his commentary, The the religion of Ishmael is a religion of nature, of what we can do by ourselves without any special intervention of God. But the religion of Isaac is a religion of grace, of what God has done and does, a religion of divine initiative and divine intervention. For Isaac was born supernaturally through a divine promise. And this is what Christianity is, not natural religion, but supernatural He goes on to say that the Ishmaels of this world trust in themselves that they are righteous. The Isaacs trust only in God through Jesus Christ. The Ishmaels are in bondage because this is what self-reliance always leads to. The Isaacs enjoy freedom because it is through faith in Christ that people are set free. So we must seek to be like Isaac, not like Ishmael. 
We must put our trust in God through Jesus Christ, for only in Christ can we inherit the promises, receive the grace, and enjoy the freedom of God. As Tim Keller writes in his commentary on Galatians, the most religious people can be the furthest from freedom. And if you've spent any time around the American South, you've seen expressions of that, perhaps found yourself in that very bondage perhaps been persecuted yourself through the evangelism of the Judaizers of our own day. Paul presents us with the the story of of Sarah and Hagar to help us see that self-wrought reliance upon the law is no way to receive the blessing. In fact, to do so is to live enslaved on the outside of the promised inheritance. Paul exhorting us not to follow the the Judaizers of our day into enslavement, but to know the sweetness of freedom and trusting God's promise in Christ and relying upon the Holy Spirit. In the words of one pastor and scholar, Ishmael and Isaac represent two entirely different approaches to religion. Law against grace, flesh against spirit, self-reliance against divine dependence. We're either an Ishmael or an Isaac. We can declare Abraham to to be our father, but the real question is, who is our mother? John 1, verses 12 and 13 says, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is and always has been those of faith who are counted sons of Abraham and who can know and enjoy the the promised blessings to Abraham and his offspring, as opposed to those who rely on works of the law and stand accursed for failing to abide by all things written in the book of the law. The blessing of Isaac being for anyone who trusts in Jesus, the blessing of justification, the blessing of redemption, the blessing of adoption, the blessing of true and lasting freedom and joy. And and so I I would ask this morning as we uh, move into a time of singing again together, where you find yourself? Because I I would venture to guess that for most of us, we would say yes and amen to uh, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone as it pertains to entry into the family of God. But then the question becomes, what from there? Do we abandon faith and trust in the Lord, dependence upon the Spirit, to now live this supposed Christian life in our own self-wrought strength and initiative? Or do we continue this journey trusting, believing by faith in this rescuing, redeeming, justifying, adopting God? Perhaps this morning there's an opportunity for for some of us to, to step back onto the beaten path of the gospel, to recognize that the way we've been functionally living would not be in accordance with our, with our creed at the end of the day. That we find ourselves far too often between those poles of pride and despair because we're, we're really living on the basis of our own human initiative. And when we think we're getting it done, when we've daily done our devotional for an entire month straight, we feel so smug and and good about ourselves and and we can even teach others how to have a good devotional experience 
And then when we miss a day, boy, we, we spiral into a place of despair. Does God really love me anymore? My guess is that that's probably what we need to camp out with and sit with a little bit. Not what our creed is on paper, but, but how are we truly living, functionally speaking? Would Paul come to us like he did Peter in chapter two and, and rebuke us because our conduct is, is undoing what we're saying in our doctrine? Get an opportunity before we jump into the lyrics of this next song to just sit for a couple minutes with that and to confess if, there, if there's need for such to say, Lord, I, I believe the, the gospel but, but I'm living out the gospel of Ishmael, not the gospel according to Isaac. And that out of that would be a freedom, that we would, a feeling sense of freedom and joy as we sing these first lyrics of this next song together. As we, we run to, to Christ yet again, as we run to the Father, as we run to the Holy Spirit. Also have an opportunity to receive of communion. If you're uh, not a Christian, I would encourage you not to partake of communion, but that your next step would be one of repentance and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are a Christian, as you, many of you know, we take the, the bread representing the broken body of Jesus. We dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. As you prepare to receive of those elements yet again, I just encourage you uh, to, to come back to some of the earlier parts of the book of Galatians where we're reminded of what Jesus took upon himself, the curse that was ours to bear so that through his broken body and shed blood, we might be freed from the curse and freed from the, the bondage that we would otherwise be in were it not for Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C.com.